0: Hello, everyone. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. We have a very special guest today, my good friend Dave Scalia. Dave is a Brooklyn-based touring session drummer, producer, and musical director. He's originally from Madison, Wisconsin. Dave moved to New York in 2010 and began to work with pop, rock, soul, indie, and electronic artists. During the past six years, he's performed and or recorded with national and international touring acts including White Rabbits, Ellie King, A Great Big World, Sky Ferreira, Diane Birch, Brazos, and Darren Chris, among others. As a performer, Davis appeared on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Sesame Street, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, The Late Late Show, VH1 You Ought to Know, The MTV Awards, and NBC's The Voice. Dave has performed at historic venues and festivals all over the world, including Lollapalooza, the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, Glastonbury, Pitchfork Festival, Carnegie Hall, the Ryman Auditorium, Hollywood Bowl, Governor's Ball, and Super, uh, Summer Sonic in Japan. Dave, Dave is currently endorsed by Zildjian Cymbals, c c Drums, Vic Firth Sticks, and Evans Drumheads. Dave, it is great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Yes. When someone asks you, "What do you do?" How do you respond? Um. Well,
1: I think the easiest thing to say is that is that I play drums for bands. That's kind of the short answer because I can. I I I, I tend to talk a lot, but. Uh, I mean, you know, I think I think in your description, those are all there. I, I do a little bit of production. It's not my main thing, but. I play drums for bands, and I also sing backup vocals, and um, also musical direct, which kind of ties into um, when when bands, especially pop bands, do like backing tracks and are using electronics. I'm kind of versed in some of that stuff, so I can kind of take charge and, and help the artist do that. But I'd say I'd say that I'm mostly about you know 75% of what I
0: do is, is playing drums for a band or an artist. That's the short answer. Great. Well, I'm excited to hear you describe and talk about a lot of this. And I think uh, the first thing is though we should give everybody a little bit of background. We, You and I first met and became good friends when we were at the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious to hear you talk about what was it like after you – what was it like when you first moved to New York and you were trying to break into the scene there? I mean, did you actually mm-hmm. know anyone in the city or how how did you kind of get started there? Um, yeah, well, I, I did know a,
1: a couple of people, um not a lot. Uh I knew maybe maybe half a dozen uh former uh former IU guys, former college guys. And then um and then I think and then like a couple of friends from just random connections back home, Wisconsin, things like that. But really, not very many. It was it was honestly kind of an intimidating transition and and move. But um, I had some connections, some feet in the door, but I didn't have any gigs lined up or anything. In fact, actually, I, I remember I packed up my car, um, and and just kind of drove out on on a, on a whim. I I quit and gave kind of notice on all my gigs in Indianapolis, that's where I was at the time, I was kind of playing, I had quite a bit of work there just playing jazz and and almost exclusively jazz and just packed up the car, went out to New York and actually my first job just to make money was walking around Battery Park, which is at the very southern tip of Manhattan, um, handing out flyers to entice people to go on Statue of Liberty tours was a terrible job. If, if, that, if that doesn't sound terrible from the description, let me, let me just first and foremost say that it was not a cool job. And the excitement of being in New York and the potential of, you know, not, not making it big, but just, just playing on in a music scene like this was so much for me at the time that I was okay not, like, you know, going from playing pretty decent gigs in the Midwest to walking around Battery Park and just kind of sucking it up, you know?
0: So. Well, I think that's a pretty pretty awesome example of paying your dues.
1: And oh, yeah, that's it.
0: that's it right there. Yeah, it's just particularly exciting for me as someone who's known you for a while to hear how far you've gone in a really short amount of time, I mean, just six years since you've Played with all these artists and these mm-hmm. you know venues and everything like that. If so, I mean, what what advice would you have for someone who is literally trying to do what you've already done, which is to break into the scene, start to get a little bit established, and ultimately start to do a lot of touring, which is what you do?
1: Yeah, I you know, well, well, first of all, it's it, it's all it's it's always weird for me to like to in, interpret at this point in my life being successful, I'm I'm always looking, you know, I'm always looking up and being like, oh, why am I not there? And I think that a lot of musicians are are like that um, and artists and creative people um, or, you know, in any field really, but especially in what we do. But that being said, like, I think, I think the advice is, is, um, I mean, there's general, there's kind of general advice about just like, you know, really having to, be patient, especially in this city, because it's it's very expensive and it's very intense, and it's really not for everybody. I mean, there are some. Although it is still the music capital, I think of the world, um, and certainly of the in in the U.S. Like, I think I think that that being patient and you know just general things like being patient and working hard. But I would say that it's if, if specifically to musicians that are kind of coming from where we came from. I think that you have to play a lot of different types of music. I think you have to play a lot of gigs. You have to be a really nice – you have to be a person that people want to be around. I mean, that's a big part of it because your skills really – What I think one thing that kind of blew my mind is your skills are going to get you to a certain point, and there are things that you can't really teach or learn that are just natural and being an affable person, likable, easy to work with, easy to travel with, uh, have, you know, like when you go into the studio or you're on a tour bus or whatever, these these are things where you're going to be around people for hours, if not weeks or months, and if you're not cool, <laughs> you know, they're just going to find somebody else, because there, there are always drummers and other musicians, you know, in my case, drummers that are, that are just knocking at the door, and if maybe they don't have quite as, you know, great licks or something, <laughs> or whatever it is, or their pocket's not quite as deep, but they're good to be around. People will make that decision in a heartbeat. It's happened to me before. I've seen it happen to other people. So, I mean, I think that's actually a big part. And I wish, like, in in music school, not that professors could necessarily teach that, but, you know, being a recluse in a practice room and and learning your stuff, there's a place and a time for that. But but some of that really isn't all completely applicable to actually – nailing down a gig and, and working, you know, all the time. So I, there's there's a lot of things. I think patience and persistence um, and then also just being a good – and not being fake with your socializing, but being a genuinely nice and good and fun person to be around is really
0: important. So. Well, you just said a lot of really great stuff, but I want to try and paraphrase one thing you said, and I'm going to do yeah. that by – I'm going to do that by quoting one of my mentors, um, and we'll see how this goes. But what I just heard you said basically can be summarized as: the skills that got you out of Egypt are not the same skills that are going to get you into the Promised Land. <laughs> yeah, and no, you're right. I, yeah. You make such a good point. Um, coming out of coming out of music school, and then putting yourself into an entirely new environment where you to your point, you didn't really know too many people. It's really revealing to hear some of the insights you've had. And, and, I, and this is something I think we might end up talking about a, uh, more in, as we have our discussion here. But this idea that, especially the artists that I see you playing with, Dave, there's a lot mm-hmm. to be said for matching your personality with them and that image that they're looking for. And I, you're right, I don't really recall having any of those conversations at, uh in school. <laughs> no, and, no, no. You know, it's it's to your credit that you recognize that right away and have figured out for the most part how to make sure that uh what you're doing behind the drums is equally uh appealing as to when you're with these people for such a long time.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. I think there's a different set of of uh uh, not skills, but there's a different set of uh, attributes you have to have to get you in and out of music school, and and then there's yeah and then there's the professional set, and some of them overlap, some of them influence each other, but certainly working with with some of these artists, uh, I, I guess, kind of in maybe the last couple of years, um, yeah, there is an element of of it's not 100 percent social, but it's 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 making the artist feel comfortable um, in, in every single way, uh, and not only musically on stage, uh, in the studio, performing on TV, like live TV, you know, I mean, especially when you're playing drums. I mean, you have the most important responsibility in pop music, and I'm using that term loosely. I'm saying everything pretty much with the exception of jazz the most important things, any engineer, any mastering engineer, any producer, uh, any musical director, any musician is going to tell you it's drums and vocals. Those are the two most important things in any record that you listen to. And so you have to make the artist feel uh, comfortable musically and be supportive of what, of what they're doing. And then, But also, like, when you're off, off stage, be, be supportive and be somebody that is, that is positive, that's not, you know... Complaining about stuff, and, and that's and that's stuff that uh, you know, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it came completely naturally, but it's it's it's, it's really important, and I definitely have, have, have learned and I'm still learning about that. Um, but I think that's I think that's a big difference. Is like I in, in college, I think there was this idea that you know, if you're if you were good, you could you could get away with anything. You could get away with murder if you were like the, the best. Drummer and had all this stuff. It's just like, you'll, oh, you get hired anyway. And even in the jazz world, that's not true. You know, like, uh, it just, because you read about these guys like Miles and, and Coltrane and, and, and the handful of jazz artists that we idolized, especially going to jazz school. I mean, Miles was not particularly a friendly person. <laughs> and so I think I maybe reading his autobiography and, and studying him in school and classes maybe got a misconception that, like, I mean, that, that's not the way to do it. Is to be,
0: <laughs> is to be somebody
1: that's uh, not likable. But um, so you're saying,
0: you're saying you haven't set up your drums with your back to the audience. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't done that yet, but you know, I'm, you know if, if work starts getting slow, I might try
0: doing that. <laughs> <laughs> make, a, make a statement.
1: <laughs> yeah. See if I can. So, yeah. Make a statement.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, just because we've been talking a little bit about music education, I, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you could change anything about music education at the collegiate level, what would it be and why? Um,
1: my I've thought about this a lot because I, I I want one of the things I want to do professionally is start to start going to colleges and, and kind of being the person that I kind of wished came to college while we were there uh, to just kind of show that there's other options besides being, you know, the hottest new young jazz drummer in New York. I think one of the biggest things that I would change is just practical applications, which which by that I mean like it, you have to have a diverse set of skills to ensure how uh, – to ensure – so you don't involuntarily fat. You know, like, if you want to do it as a living, which you presume because you're going to music school, you know, you can specialize. If you really want to specialize in, in one thing, you really want to play traditional bebop or you really want to play punk or something, that's great. But your versatility, and and I mean, like, I mean, there are a million things, too. It's not only your playing, but it's also knowing about audio and knowing how to have a sound check. You know, knowing how to like what I was saying before the kind of the more social aspects, you knowing how to deal with artists, knowing how to how to de- deal with pay. You know, you're a freelancer a lot of the time, and 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 how to appropriately get paid. You know, how to do your taxes. I mean, that's that that's a that's a huge one that I've really started learning later or more recently. So these are all things that just like, you know, I would say at the collegiate level, like. I think that there needs to be just more. I don't know if it's if, if the professors have to change or they need to bring people in, but they need more. Um, you know, they need more people that are actually out there doing it and doing different things. You know, have somebody come in and talk about oh they're playing and they're making their living strictly on Broadway, or this person is writing songs, writing commercial jingles, or this person was a drummer or was a pianist at, at the music school and now they're an audio engineer now they're not even really touching their instrument at all, but they're making their, I mean, because there are a lot of ways to make a living doing music and strictly learning about, you know, uh, transcribing an Elvin Jones solo is great or strictly learning about, like, 10th century vocal music is cool too. Learning, I'm never going to, like, put down learning, but, like, those are not practical applications anymore. They just aren't. And, I mean, I feel confident saying that, you know, I think knowing knowing those other elements are important because I mean, at least in my experience, they've helped. Knowing knowing your way a little bit around around the studio, knowing how to tune your drums. You know, I mean, these are things that are just are kind of in the periphery, and they're not focused on because it's it's education, it's it's uh, it's pedagogy. They can't like they, they they can't get away with teaching all those things because higher ups in the university are going to be like, well. That's weird that you're having a class on on tuning drums, right? You should be learning about something that's more, you know, traditionally like. And there are some colleges out out, out there that are doing it. Um, I, I think are trying to make steps towards that. So I guess to answer the question, I know I'm I'm talking a lot about it, but I think like really just getting a perspective of people that are out there doing a handful of their different things and going through their daily, weekly, monthly routines. And, and, uh, because all music schools are, are, are bubbles and you're very insulated. And I think that that's really dangerous. They're formative years of your life, Undergrads, four years, four years that you could be, you know, out there learning some of the things that I had to learn, you know, when I was like, what, 22, and maybe if I started learning those earlier, I would have been further on. But I'm not regretting any of my time there because there's a lot of things that I learned, that we learned, that we were, you know, that we were there. But yeah. there, is a, there is a gap. It's not it's not the most well-rounded system of, of teaching somebody how to make a living at music, I'd say.
0: Absolutely. There's always room for improvement. Um, I, in a previous episode that I did, I interviewed mm-hmm. uh, Alan Barker, and okay. he was actually there – while we were there, but he, mm-hmm. I don't know the exact year, but it's relatively new, three years, maybe four years. Okay. Uh, he's actually started an, a music entrepreneurship certificate at the Jacobs School of Music. Okay. So and he- I did an entire interview with him, which was really awesome to learn about what, what, first of all, what the purpose of that is, but we did also kind of get into, like, what is the overall purpose and function of music education now? And some of the things you're saying definitely came up. uh, Trying to balance what is, you know, supposed to be part of the curriculum versus what is actually going to be practical. And one of the things I was telling him when we when we did the episode was, it occurred to me that I think the most beneficial thing I got out of the entire time there was I developed a sense of, of grit and a sense of like, you know, just. When you're really focused on something and you're, you know, you're very persistent with it, what what, how that's Uh going to serve you in other aspects of your life? And, I, you know, when I uh, sort of struck out on my own um, almost three years ago now to start my booking agency, Uh I I actually found myself in an abstract way relying on some of those skills I had learned as a music student that really have nothing to do with music, have nothing to do with business or entrepreneurship, but this uh, sort of ability to just like I said, stay focused for long periods of time, to persevere—you know—it's going to be tough, but I don't know—I don't know where else I would have developed that. You know, and I'm literally talking about those countless hours in the practice room and those countless hours in the music library. That ability to stay focused has really helped me.
1: Yeah, there's there's no doubt that that
0: that, that is, is is probably
1: probably the most important thing that you learn going to music school. I mean, it's, it's the less about the specifics. There's no secret formula right. um, for any of it nowadays, because I mean the whole music climate is, is changing really fast. And I think, and, and I think that people will naturally will succeed, or I don't, I don't want to say fail, but just either just move on to something else. will kind of naturally do that. And,
2: and you're certainly
1: right that it's really the persistence and the intensity and the um, uh, the pride you take in your work. And I think that, like for me, it was like you know coming things that I learned in music school is like coming into a gig or a first rehearsal and having it be like you've already played the music a bunch of times, so that first rehearsal that you come in you're 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 not like learning the tune on the spot, like you're already really honing in on things and that and that's something that 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 you definitely learn in in music school is to, is to come completely over prepared to rehearsals or sessions or whatever you're doing and to have that intensity and that work ethic. I mean, those are, those are certainly the things that that pop out as, as, as most important. And the other thing is, uh, the other stuff that I was talking about is this kind of minutia that should be, that I think it would be beneficial to expose college age students to those things. Uh, I think, I think, uh, um, going back a little bit, like I think digital, uh, like DAWs, digi- digital audio workshops like Pro Tools and Ableton and Logic, I think that should be, like, a, a, a should be
0: totally mandatory at any music school at this point, you know?
2: I yeah, mean,
0: that's a good point. It's certainly there's some music schools that do a lot of that, obviously mm-hmm. comes to mind, but it's you're right, it's not mandatory for sure. But uh, but uh, but yeah, I I, I totally uh, you know I totally agree with you in, in regards to uh,
1: there are these kind of general lessons that really kind of comes down to work ethic and 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 putting in the time and then in whatever you do, whether it's music or not, those are kind of the years where you're putting in the most amount of 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 man hours. And yeah, you're really and learning how to down. form those habits. Yeah. Yeah, and and hopefully they're there before you go to college, or else you wouldn't have gotten into college music school. And that's the thing that's interesting is, is when that's why it's different with music is because you know like yeah yeah kids put in time in in high school if they're in an academic field and non music, but there is something different about music. I mean, you have to already have a kind of a head start on that work ethic, even getting into music school. I and mean, you're auditioning right. to get in there. You you have to have your academics together in addition to your to your ability on your instrument and your and your knowledge of music. So um you know, it's really just honing in and bringing it up to the next level, I
0: guess, at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's talk about what you're you're kind of currently doing. Who, who are you currently performing with? Currently,
1: um right now I'm I'm pretty much full-time uh I guess as of the last 6 months um and currently, and into the future, I'm full-time with an artist named L. King. Uh, so people that have known her a long time say Ellie, so it's not necessarily wrong, but I think the the, no, the normal pronunciation for for the world is L. King. And... Um, yeah, so I'm, I,
0: I think I mispronounced her name in the bio,
1: <laughs> but it's fine because it, when you when I heard it, I was like, oh man, maybe Mike is, maybe Mike has known her
0: since she was fifteen, and
1: I just didn't know because there a lot of a lot of people, so you know, a lot of people will call her Elliot sometimes. So it, it, it kind of goes back and forth. It's not a big deal. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I've been doing, and it's it's one of in my I, I guess about six years here in New York, and also just generally playing with with kind of artists that I, I would say this uh, that are on either on major record labels or have pretty established careers. I mean, I work with a lot of artists that are not established or around New York uh, or whatever, but just, I guess I, I hate to say pop because it just evokes that I'm like playing with like Justin Bieber or something, which isn't necessarily the case. But, um, but it's the first time that I've been like pretty much completely full time with an artist, meaning that I've just been so busy, um, and also that I have a setup where, when I'm not working with that artist, I'm I'm on I'm kind of on reserve in case something comes up. And usually that happens uh, when when record cycles are are going on, um, and you know they need the band available at a moment's notice because something might come up, but. Yeah, I've been I've been full-time with her, and we're pretty much booked all the way to January um, right now, so the next another about six, seven months of work. Um, and when I'm back in town, I actually have the month of May off, which is May right now, uh, and, and I'm working with a couple of artists here uh, locally, but 90% of my work has been with her the last six months and will continue to be that way
0: for another six months, so... That's great. Um, how did you initially uh, become part of her band?
1: Um, I initially started the guitar player um, for her, um, had been playing with her for a couple of years, and we played in a kind of a, a side project with, with a, just a bunch of side musicians, some guys that went to Manhattan Manhattan School of Music that had already graduated so other musicians around town kind of put together like a big 13, 14 piece kind of soul band and um, I got involved in that and me and the guitar player played in that for a while and kind of, you know, be- became friends and when the when L's, um former drummer n- needed to bow out for his own reasons and just kind of made a career change you know, they needed somebody so he put my name in the hat Um to her manager, it was something that she wasn't, uh, you know, like too directly involved in artists at, at that level, which is interesting. We could maybe talk about it later. But there's a a lot of the time I'm working with. Sometimes the musicians are right, recommending me, but a lot of times there's never not a moment that I'm dealing with a manager of the artist because um, they they deal with band personnel quite a bit and musical directors, M's or whatever will, will be a part of that. But I've really learned in the last six years how to deal with with managers of artists, which was something that I had no experience six years ago, you know. But uh, he recommended me, and then the manager put out word to other musicians around town, and a couple of them recommended me. So I had like a couple of recommendations coming in, but I, I was vetted for for a pretty long period, like uh, about about a four week period of of me, you know. I was playing on T V with a different group on the time, so he tuned in to Fallon to watch me play and was like, Oh, okay, yeah, not not bad and then I then he saw me play with another band around town live and in person he was like,
2: Oh, okay, not not bad
1: and then he you know, heard, heard a couple other recommendations that I could maybe potentially do the gig and he was like, Okay, oh, come in and play with the band so it took it took like a couple of processes and it was just really a lot of like kind of luck in the right place at the right time but also just, you know, persistence. I met enough people that were, were my name came up multiple
0: times that, that always is, is a huge help, obviously.
2: Well, so you combination you're, of you're,
0: Sorry, yeah, not to interrupt, but you're also mm-hmm. being modest because for anybody listening who hasn't heard you, although uh, L. King is w- widely well-known now, so maybe they have seen you live, but um, you also happen to be a really good drummer, Dave, so that helps, too.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> I appreciate that, Mike.
0: Yeah, um, okay, cool. So it sounds like they're obviously, and going back to your first point, uh, the importance of drums. They, the the powers that be in her world were very were scrutinizing who was going to fill the drum spot very closely, and um, it, 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 again, it says a lot about who you are that you are now the drummer for this ensemble.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm being biased, but the the, the, the drums, you know there are a lot of sayings like, the, you know, the band's only as good as the drummer and all these things. But like, I found that it, it, it is such an important share in, in, in any style of music. And I say, especially this, this stuff. Um, I mean, Elle is a, is kind of a blues and rock and soul artist, but I would just label her as pop for kind of the use of, of just the, the discussion.
2: Yeah. I hear yeah. it on the radio
1: all the time yeah i mean it's 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 just very important because uh for obvious reasons you know it's just like the, the sound of the band the tempo the the group everything is there and and you know having a solid and consistent
0: drummer um is is really important yes you mentioned um learning how to work with artists managers do you have a manager you do you have a manager or are you, you, you self managed Oh, yeah, I mean,
1: I'm, I'm self-managed. I think, like, people ask me that question sometimes, and, and the thing that's interesting, at, le- at least in, in what I'm doing, which I know a handful of guys, not a handful, I know a lot of, of drummers and other instrumentals that are doing essentially the same thing as me. Very, very few of them. I actually don't know a single one that has a manager, I would say. And I think the reason for that, um I think I, I would say the, the first and foremost, the, the, most, which is the most obvious reason that managers typically take a percentage of, of who they're managing of, of the profits that they're making. And it's, nowadays, I guess the kind of going number is like around 15%. And there would be no manager that would be interested in taking 15% of what I make because it's it's not, you know, managing an artist like, you know, Madonna, fifteen percent is a lot of money, or uh, or even in a smaller band or an indie band, that's that's some money. And you manage multiple arts. There's just not financial incentive for managers to do that. And then also, it's it's hard to sell a person in that respect. You know, it, it makes a little bit more sense for a manager to, to sell an artist rather than somebody that's like, this person is a good instrumentalist and drummer and you know a good person to be around it's it's just it's a it's a lot more natural of a progression for people to be doing it on their own but i will tell you in new york that i I, i've hung in a lot of other cities major markets i think they're new york la nashville um and you know people argue like some other cities you know maybe austin gets thrown in there and maybe New Orleans or something like that. But in the major cities, I have never seen a city that has such a support network of musicians as New York. People are really friendly to each other and really supportive. And I would say as kind of more a maybe more of a esoteric way of, of saying that I have a manager, I would say that just all the other drummers in town that I'm friends with um, – that we go to each other's gigs and you know we help them haul in a bass drum when they're late to a gig or help them carry something up the subway stairs or share rehearsal spaces with those are the people that are really looking out for you and everybody recommends each other and I and I have I, the drummer community here in New York Mike is, is something that I just like it it just kind of like warms my heart even talking about it because I haven't met a single other drummer that has that is like not the most friendly, very talented, and just like it's just kind of like a brotherhood. Or I mean, there are there are girls too,
0: but you know, just yeah sure, no, like I'm saying.
1: It,
0: that. It, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I understand. It's really good to hear you say that too. You know, it's interesting. Just one of the things you said was that it's a lot easier for a manager to sell and quote an artist than maybe mm-hmm. maybe a side man or a side woman. Um, you know, in the world that I'm kind of approaching it from, the world of fine arts and jazz, but also other types of instrumental music too,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, I've it, I, it, I kind of realized, I mean, there's basically two types of artists. There's artists who have and need a manager, and there's artists who have but don't need a manager.
1: Mm, yeah. And you would be yeah.
0: surprised at the conflict that arises in the group falling into category B because yeah. then it's a very delicate situation where you're working with an artist who has a manager who for the sake of this conversation has had that relationship for a, a long time longer than you've been part of the team. Mm-hmm. So although your first instinct might be to sit them down and say you guys shouldn't be working together, <laughs> you really have one you have you can choose one of two things. You can say well, we don't really want to work with this artist and manager together. Or we do, and we have to figure out how to make it work. And if it really, for me, it just comes down to the artist being aware of their capabilities and where they're at and um, knowing at this point in their career, do they need one or do they not need one? Um, And it's just surprising to me more often the ones who have one but don't need one uh, often wonder why things aren't getting done quicker. It's because they could do it quicker themselves. They just don't realize it. Oh, yeah. No, I think...
1: I've actually worked with, with uh, a band recently um, that I don't really need to name, but it was
2: an indie rock
1: band. Actually, last summer I was on tour with them, and they had management, and uh, and they recently parted ways simply because they they made the self-realization that the, the they didn't need management at this point in their career. It was just something that was... The type of work that was coming in that they were doing wasn't exactly the direction they wanted to go. And but while I was touring with them and working with them um, out in Los Angeles, uh, that was something that they were kind of toying with the idea. Was, was exactly what you're talking about. Like, do do we really need this this manager? And actually, I, I've also worked with, with a handful of artists where switching the manager. Um, and and uh, essentially firing their manager is, is maybe something that's come up a lot because people are artists that break with with a manager and have worked with them for years. It, it, it's a very intense and loyal relationship, especially yes. when an artist is like you know sitting and playing at you know open mics in New York, and this artist uh, and then this manager helps uh, this artist come and blow up, and then you're with them for I don't know ten. 10 years and then you know and that's something that I like I don't have much perspective on except being kind of an outsider and and witnessing it but it is
2: it, management
1: is 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 a pretty important part uh in 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 this game and um and, and it's not it's not easy all the relationships uh <laughs> it, it's not an easy thing i mean they can be extremely helpful they can be very detrimental they can be somewhere in between but it is a, it is a very, like, it's a very interesting relationship that I didn't really know about, a, a ton about before I got into it and started dealing with it. And then, you know, now I'm, after the fact, I'm, I'm, you know, reading more, you know, like rock autobiographies, for instance. And, um, you know, just reading about, uh, you know, well, look at Epstein, the, the, you know, the Sixth Beatle, for instance, you know, like there's, there's a, um, you know, there's, there's an intergr- it's an integral part of any any major group
0: is, is a manager. Very important relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, along those lines, then I'm always kind of curious about learning, uh, especially from someone like you who is mm-hmm. performing professionally. Are there any types of apps or you know basic technology on your phone that you use to manage your schedule, manage your I don't have to go too deep into it, but manage mm-hmm. you know how you get paid. I'm I'm always curious, and the reason I'm asking is because I actually want to be able to recommend what you're going to tell me to the artist that I'm working with.
1: Yeah, well, in terms of managing like my schedule uh, and things like that, I would I, I just all the all the Google stuff, Google based calendar, um, is pretty much exclusively what I use, and that's what. Web managers, um, most of them use that, too. It's just, it, it's pretty ubiquitous. Uh, I, I I don't know many, you know, many other apps in terms of, like, scheduling and calendars. So I'm using the Google stuff, and, you know, the app that I have has a ton of different calendars on, on there uh, that I can, you know, engage and disengage. So, let, for instance, now I'll have L's calendar, it'll tell me what her schedule is like. And then if there's another band that I'm working with, you know, I've got their stuff, so I'll, you know, put them both together and see if there's any conflicts. Or, or, and then even even down to my studio where I'm looking at, okay, a Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. I want to go in and, and record something or rehearse something. is somebody else in that studio. The Google stuff is really, is really paramount for For my organization and and it's great because it just saves it everywhere you know I think that's one of the biggest things and it's clear cut it's reliable, and it's also just like if I put stuff in there, I know it's on my phone i know it's on I know it's on my laptop automatically it saves it the cloud somewhere it's just like it's not going anywhere I've got email reminders on everything, so it's just like it's almost like too many reminders but that's really important in, in everybody's job, especially when you're self-employed is that you just really, you really want to not double book yourself because that like all of a sudden, if you start doing that a few times a year, you know, it'll kind of get out that you're, you're disorganized or double booking and, and that, Nobody likes that at all. Right. So that's Absolutely. a big one. I mean, there's a more musical app that I'm a huge fan of and it's called tempo and that's just a metronome, Um, but um, it's less organizational, but just on the subject of apps, I save, I have every single set list of every single artist since I've gotten the app saved of the tempos, the metronomic, you know, tempo of of all their songs. So I can work with, you know, I work with an artist, like one artist I work with once a year pretty much around the holiday time. He does a holiday show at Joe's Public Theater, which is in Manhattan. He does it every, just like, you know, second week in December. And we used to play more, but now he's got a kid now. He just does kind of this one annual show. So I've been doing it for five years. So I I have a set list from five that has been revised over the years, but that was started, you know, that began five years ago. And so when he pulls up this song, oh, maybe we haven't played it the last three years. And he's, oh, you remember this song? Yeah, 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 no, you put it on the set list and I remember it. Well, how fast is it? And I've, you know, got it right there. Oh, okay, it's 108 BPM, you know, and right there. it's. Uh, I think as, as for a drummer, that app has, I mean, I've actually used that app on TV, playing for, I don't know, four or five million people on TV. I've had that app on at my feet to start a song's tempo. <laughs> when, when there wasn't click in, in my in-ear monitors or sometimes you don't need to reference the tempo but sometimes you do and so i mean i've used that app just when i'm practicing you know when i'm when i'm rehearsing with a group just to just to see if a song's in the right ballpark or even when it's like a pretty pretty important game time like i need to count this song off at the right tempo and i've just like
0: i'll just put it down at my feet yeah Yeah,
1: it sounds really yeah
0: i'm not familiar with it it sounds really useful so just Tell me about it really quickly. So it saves setless, or you input setless, but then it allows you to put in a metronomic marking, which will then actually tick that 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 actual beat per minute?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty much a, a basic metronome, but they've really thought it through, uh, thought, like, just a lot of details through. I mean, you know, there's a lot of options of... You know you can do different time signatures different subdivisions but i, I think that one of the, the most important features is the, the ease of saving the the set lists and they'll just they'll they'll and you can and you can save them onto your laptop or or computer and save that file so if you get a new new phone or whatever and the data's lost you can you can keep it so it's just like and every time I update it i you know I still have all the set lists and And, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty basic metronome. I mean, there are a few things that I, you know, that I wish they could improve on, one of which would be to be able to to set it so you can have, let's say, two bars of click, and then it'll mute itself. And um, it has a visual click, too. The entire screen on your iPhone, for instance, will blink at that tempo. And that is a really awesome feature because... A a, a lot of times, there's some gigs that I play where there's a bunch of tracks, or there's just click, or there's click and track, and then there's some gigs. I gig, we're not on any click or any track. It's very organic. But when I first started playing, um, uh, I really wanted to get the tempos right, because you're playing 15, 16 song, headline, show, set, like... You know, maybe midway through this set, you're like, oh, man, is this one, like, a little, like, and you're you're kicking off the tunes with the drummer. So when you have that click on the, the visual click, you can look over and just kind of see while you're playing or even before the tune starts, you can see this thing kind of blinking, and it gives you an idea. And that can make a pretty big difference. It gives you the confidence to count off the tune, you know, at the right tempo. Or you can leave it on and be like in the bridge or something and be like, oh man, this is taking off. Is like the guitar player going nuts and I need to pull back because when you get to the chorus, all of a sudden the chorus is too fast. And then what happens in the chorus is too fast and the vocalist is singing the the really important lyrics that every the entire crowd seems to want to and they're too rushed. And then all of a sudden you talk to the vocalist the next day and says, why that you know, why did that song sound like crap? It didn't feel right. The hit song that everybody was there paid their money to see the tickets and. That's the responsibility of the drummer. That's one of the things. Yeah. All of a sudden, the the chorus is supposed to be at 105 BPM. Everybody hears it like that on the radio, and then because you didn't catch the fact that it sped up a bunch, the last chorus is rushed, it. and and that's so important because the lyrics could be so set where the breath points are and where the syllables lie at a certain tempo. It works that way. You played it that way. All of a sudden, it's too fast or too slow. You know, maybe the vocalist runs out of breath, and then they start singing out of tune because of it, or the crowd You know, and that's like that's something that that I definitely like. Kind of woke up to. I know I'm going a little bit on a tangent, but that's the importance of this, this tempo app and and being being really diligent of of your tempos because like that's where it's at. Like if the vocals are getting messed up, then like you know
0: you're not doing your job. So that's, well, that's, just, that's, that's a
2: big
1: one.
0: Yeah, no, that's a perfect segue to something I wanted to ask you a little bit about. Um, and mainly that is, you know, when I think about when I really was uh, with you for a long period of time in the drum studio, mm-hmm. and we both were kind of coming up in the arts of jazz drumming, I'm
2: curious, mm-hmm.
0: how how is that really different from playing with pop artists? And specifically, um, as you sort of approach and engineer drum parts, are mm-hmm. finding that with a lot of the pop acts you work with, are they are the drum parts already written out? Are you is somebody telling you what they want you to do specifically, or are you able to come up with things on your own? Does it, you know, does it depend on the artist? I'm kind of curious to hear you talk about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really that's a really good question. It's really interesting. It, it, well, first of all, it, it
0: varies for every
1: single artist that I've worked with. There hasn't been an exactly consistent or uh, repeat situation in in the major artists I've worked for. One of the first gigs that I got was was White's Rabbids, Rabbits, uh, which is happened to be also one of my favorite bands. Really awesome music, kind of spoon or even Radiohead type of music. And on that gig, the lead singer, um, actually went to school for jazz drums in in Columbia, Missouri as an insanely good drummer himself, but also played keys, guitar, bass, and sang, just kind of like a, a genius musician, really. So he, I came in on their third record. They had already been a band for eight years, so a lot of the parts in that band were kind of already already there. And there'd be sometimes in these rehearsals where he'd be like, oh, maybe play more like this, and he'd actually sit down and kind of show me something. But then there would be little things that I would do that, you know, he would be like, oh, yeah, that's cool, or not even address it. And it was just something that I did. Um, with that band, like, you know, there was there was three albums worth of me not even being involved coming in. So that's, like, pretty much a lot of me learning the parts. And they weren't necessarily exactly how they were on the record. There's sometimes the live thing was different um, than the recorded thing. Actually, often it is. Um, you know, with... Um with L's music there's there's a certain amount of freedom. Um, you know, compared to White Rabbits, there's there's a little bit more um it's a little bit more of a band thing. And what I mean is it was definitely less pop. It was more like when I gave the examples of like spoon or radio If people understand that, that reference, it's a little bit more I don't know, uh I don't know. It's just like less of like, this is a pop tune you hear on a radio. There's kind of some more, more different stuff going on. But with El, with Elle's thing, um, the the manager is actually also really a good accomplished drummer and producer himself. So he was very particular about their hit song, um, about me playing it a certain way. Um, and I played very consistently every night because that's, the song that people are there to hear, that's the song that that I've played on TV probably 10 or 12 times in the last six months. Is so that or, X's, and, X's and O's or which mm-hmm, song? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So for that, for instance, like I'm, you know, I'm keeping that really close to home. Now when we played like, um, we just finished a, a headline tour about six weeks, um, there would be other songs in the set about a fifteen, sixteen song set where I'm definitely like, I will I will do a different I'll do a different fill in a place. I'm not completely changing the group on, on a whim unless I am working kind of with everybody in a rehearsal situation or at a sound check, being like, Hey man, like what about this? Like you know? Um but there's little things that I'll that I'll add almost to every single headline show. There they'll I would say there's probably half a dozen little things that I will – I have the freedom um, to change. And, and, and it's all, and it's all like, de- depending on how deep you go. Like, I think with – with my approach is is the approach of something very simple, which is the exact opposite of what I was doing in college. I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I know it was me. I was playing a lot of notes, and I was trying to concentrate on the sound and the depth of them, but it was a lot more of a – if you look at it a graph, it's more of this, like – the the x axis right that's the horizontal one
2: <laughs>
1: I haven't I haven't done that stuff in a while is that the right axis the horizontal axis uh, x
0: is yeah well x is uh, is, is vertical right
1: no so it
0: is well let's just say hor-
1: horizontal and vertical if you're looking at like a graph I was doing I was more concentrated on just the the content that I was playing in time and then instead of going back and here's my comparison. Is, I, drummers that I idolize... like? No, I'm like, wrong. Like
0: Dave, you're right. I understand what you're trying okay. to say. Okay. The Y axis right. is vertical. X axis is okay. horizontal. Yeah. So,
1: so the way that I look at it in, in, in music and I've heard from other people is that in college I, I, was, I was much more based on just constantly playing new ideas, very improvisational, blah, 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 blah. And now what I'm into and the guys, that, the drummers that I'm really idolizing now and really trying to focus on is just like, oh, I'm going to play two and four on the snare drum. And there I'm going to look at how much depth there is in playing that simple thing or playing the most basic rock beat, which at, in college I thought, oh, that's simple, I can play that, you know, or whatever. And then you're thinking like, oh, maybe maybe the hi-hat is a little ahead of the kick drum and the snare drum, or maybe the bass drum, the, the, the first bass drum hit is a lot louder than the second bass drum hit. Or maybe the whole sound needs to be tightened up. Maybe I need to tune the snare drum higher because it's more of a hip-hop thing, or maybe it needs to be fatter. Those are the things where it's more Y-axis, where you're thinking the material you're playing is not technically very hard, but you're thinking in, in, like, the vertical thing, which is the depth. You're thinking about the snare drum tone, the consistency of it, you know, the character of it. Is this, like, kind of, am I playing, like, kind of sloppy? like Levon Helm or John Bonham thing, or is it really tight, like Chris Dave or like, you know, you know, whatever. Um, and those are like kind of the more sound and depth things rather than like, oh, well, this rock beat simple. It's two and four, like rock beat. Like I'm going to throw in a crazy fill or I'm going to do something weird after three bars. So it's like, I, I guess like, I guess what I'm saying <laughs> Definitely went off the tangent, but yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying it's, it's right. is 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 really the is really the consistency. Um, consistency is just extremely important in this style of music, opposed to the, opposed to the jazz thing, um, right? Where more of the vibe is the improvisational thing, but I still I still find moments. There's small moments where I'm where I'm changing things up, and it can be with even within like it can be even within. Uh, that, that Y-axis, meaning, like, maybe on this tune, like, my hi-hat's going to be tighter. And that might be my form of of changing things up. It's like, oh, I'm really just going to tighten up the hi-hat and make it sound a lot tighter and less sloshy or something. And that's a totally different way of thinking than, than at least when I thought when I was, like, playing jazz. It would be a very different, more uh,
0: cerebral thing or something, you know? Sure. Well, no, it's so. interesting that you described that. So... Is I mean, would you say in your experience, is there still a big demand for live drumming on records? When just to play devil's advocate, I could simply use a program to filter out all the, the nuanced mistakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's definitely changed um, a lot. Uh, I don't have a huge amount of perspective because you know I I'd, I'd say that um, you know I, you know I've been re- recording and even recording like you know, just like kind of groove type music since I was younger, but I haven't really been like in the scene for super long. So I don't have a perspective like, like a, like a Jim Keltner or somebody that's in like their fifties or Mm sixties. But I know that it has changed because everybody now has a very, very capable recording situation on just your basic like MacBook pro. and, and people are getting very good at it, and samples are all floating around. And, you know, and, and the result of that, you can see the proof of the pudding. It's like studios are closing down all over the place, all over the world. Manhattan studios in, in New York are, are, are closing down. And and it's because people have home studios and they can, you know, you're exactly right. You can, you can correct these things and, and make it sound, you know, sort of real. I think there still is a demand. It's way down. And I think that um, – I think it's a pendulum, and I think it'll change. I think people al- almost more I – I would say that there – sometimes when I come to the studio, people almost want me to play more human because the fact that I'm even there, the producer or the artist already knows that they can get – you know, they can sample, replace my snare drum or my bass drum or I'm already playing over, like, a drum machine or something. They already know that. If, if You know, if it depends on the music and the situation. But they already know that they can get that, you know, that computer or perfect sound. So when I'm there, it's almost like, you know what, man, like, really go for it. Be yourself. Like, make mistakes. Like, maybe make that those, like, those ghost notes or the notes in between, like, a lot. A lot fatter and more human, so sometimes that happens, and then other, and then there are some instances where it's like, dude, we need this out on the grid as possible. Um, but the demand has gone down, and I think that there might be a little bit more of a of not backlash, but it, it might return to to more to more like uh, you know more live drumming in the studio, but it, it's certainly less. And there was a period, you know talking way before our time where, you know, guys in, in this city or Nashville or L.A., I mean, doing two or three sessions a day, you know, just back-to-back running the studios. Right. Uh, you know, back with, like, the Wrecking Crew, for instance. I mean, they were just busy all the time just making, you know, hit hit after hit after hit. And those days are even the, the, the really successful drummers that I know here, uh, especially in studio drumming, really aren't doing as much. Like it really has dried out because of because of the technology, um and really because of the state of the music industry. There's just like I mean, if you can get it pretty pretty close for a lot cheaper than hiring a drummer and just getting a bunch of samples, they're gonna do that. And it's 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 a it's kind of like a, a multiple there's a lot of situations that have made it um it's kind of a perfect storm. It's also I think electronic music is also very popular right now so i also think that um you know artists are 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 just writing a lot more music for electronic instruments uh and electronic drums so i think it's a combination of of acoustic music not needing those uh, uh you know like live drums as much and also just the whole music climate like as a whole people are just writing a little bit more electronic music. i mean like an artist like james blake i'm sure you know who he is like he plays with a live drummer and maybe there's some live drumming on his record, but like big artists, a lot of people like him. I'm using him because he's playing in New York tonight. Uh, you know, like that artist wouldn't exist 25 years ago. Cause he's kind of an electronic artist. And he just wouldn't have even existed. And there would have been a live band and there would have probably been a live band on his recording. And now there's a whole slew of artists that are doing this thing. And, um, so it's it's also the, it's the genre, uh, it's it's a lot of factors. So it's it's decreased quite quite a bit, which is which is which is unfortunate.
0: <laughs> yeah, you made an interesting point when you said sometimes you're in the studio, producers want you to just be yourself, like be as uh, you know real as possible. Don't be mm-hmm. mechanical. And that yeah. reminded me of an interview I recently read with Matt Chamberlain, who seems to mm-hmm. be. It's clearly the exception to the norm right now for drummers who's still being hired because he, you know, he's a real human drummer, right? And people are right. not just hiring him to be the drummer on the album, but he's getting hired all the time to just to just be recorded playing drums so people can use those samples, which is kind of interesting. Oh yeah, and that's yeah. I mean,
1: there there's tons of examples of. I mean,
0: but that, I mean that's
1: the thing that's crazy is like people, you know. Guys like Clyde Stubblefield who, you know, James Brown's drummer, one of James Brown's drummers, but probably the most iconic one. I mean, ever since like the beginning of hip-hop, like early 80s, uh, you know, a lot of it pretty much here in New York and the Bronx, they're taking these James Brown records and they're taking drum breaks from from from, you know, from Clyde Stubblefield from from uh uh, Zigaboo, you know, uh, from like any of these guys, and they're taking these drum breaks and they're cutting them up, and they're you know making samples out of them and they're and they're using them, which is, I mean, and I and I, and I really love hip hop. I'm not, I'm not putting that down anyway. I think it's a really creative art form, but I think it's it's been happening now for,
0: okay, yeah, well, like, right. for the better
1: part of forty years, right. You know, so now we're we're into a phase, fa- we're into, we're way into it now, and yeah, Matt Matt. Chamberlain is, is no exception. They're doing the same thing. They're just gonna have him come in and play a four bar drum loop and who knows if it's gonna sound, you know, just like that, like an uninterrupted four bar drum loop. Sometimes sometimes it happens. Recently I recorded the tape um for an artist that I worked for and and it was just, you know, full takes not to a click, just playing uh very organically. And it happens Pretty rarely now, but it's really rewarding for me because it's. I don't know how to make an uh, an analogy just right off the bat on the spot here, but if if I were like a painter or visual artist, it would feel a lot more real. um, Whatever I was doing, uh, if I you know recording to tape and just doing it in in one takes like that, then all right, dude, let's let's go back and let's let's do this like the fourth bar, this four-bar phrase nine times and I'm going to cut it up and it's not going to sound anything like it on the record and blah, 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 blah. It's just, it feels like you don't have the the sculpture you've made. Is, is already like they're just going to put it in some type of die cast anyway rather than this is actually what I made and it's kind of uninterrupted. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, guys, guys are... Guys are doing that a fun now, you know, Matt Chamberlain and, you know, anybody that has that sound. But to say that it's still cool is that they're, even regardless of that, he's going to get called in or ex-drummers going to get called in mostly because they are who they are. And they yeah. hit the drum in a certain way. They play their instrument in a certain way that is still sought after. And even if it's altered quite a bit, there's still the spirit of that person behind it. And it'll never go away. There's just no way that it'll fully go away. I think we're at, like I said, the pendulum thing before, I think we're really at the height of, of people, mass consumption listening to music that doesn't have that grit to it anymore. I mean, I find, I love listening to new stuff, I like listening to as much as I can, but recently, man, I've been listening to Stax and Motown and like stuff that where the the all of the all of the performing on it is not consistent because you turn on radio and you hear you know um, a Justin Bieber single off his last record which I actually kind of like his record but you hear the drumming and there's nothing nothing human about that right. and we're at the height of that right now and I don't see it any it's not
0: going to go anywhere else but back towards the humanistic element of playing instruments on a record I yeah. It's interesting. It seems like it's kind of pushing things it it's really polarized because totally. festivals yeah. are as popular as they've ever been. Summer festivals and yeah. and bands that are at a consistent touring level now, you know, are, are just as sought after as ever. And I I think um I think yeah, I think you're right. There's kind of these two extremes, but you know, there's so many good instrumental live, uh, you know, human bands out there, like the Lone Bellow and uh, mm-hmm. the Punch Brothers and just on and on yep. and on. And yep. it, it's so great to go see these bands live and to see, um, at least, you know, where I'm seeing them, the uh, at capacity crowds and everything like that. So you're right, that'll never go away. And that's why yeah. definitely, like, I just, you know, I'll <laughs> love or hate, like, I'll always love the music industry.
1: Yeah, it's, it's 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 very it's very polarized. it's very polarized. It's shifting and and moving every single day now, and at, a, at such a rapid rate. But you're exactly right. I mean, and and I yeah, I know folks uh, well in, in both Punch Brothers and the Lone Bellow, and also Lake Street J- Dive comes to mind as a band that Definitely. is very yeah. organic and live, and 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 um, and then even if going into kind of the like guys that are playing with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings or Charles Bradley. There's a lot of bands that are still doing this thing. Um, recently, we've been on a lot of the same shows as this guy, rate Rateless and the Nightlet, yeah. and that's a—they're uh, all good friends and kind of a little bit of a similar style of L. So we've kind of run into them. And, um, and there's a lot of bands that are doing that, and that and that and that's great too. So it's it's um, you know we'll, we'll see where it goes. But honestly, for me, it's great that both those things exist because uh, you know, knowing, having some knowledge into the electronic production and knowing how to implement that live is, is one thing that I've done quite a bit with programs like, you know, Ableton and, and Logic, especially Ableton. And that's another thing that if you're a drummer and you know how to do that stuff, all of a sudden you can be hired as, as a musical director in the band instead of just the drummer. You know how to sing, too. You know how to sing, play, and then also put backing tracks together and then trigger samples and do all that stuff. It's kind of a it's kind of a period for drummers that like if you know how to do that stuff you're going to be a lot more employable um, and you're also going to kind of kind of edge out the guys that are awesome that are in their 50s that don't really want to mess around with a computer on stage. Yeah. It also is actually provided in, in a weird way, although I'm not complaining about any of it. It's actually provided a, like a, a little bit more work for me and more opportunity for me because of that world, you know? Kind yeah, of well, it's
0: absolutely. But it says a lot about your desire to learn, to approach this entrepreneurially, um, to really maximize the amount of value you can bring to each, each project, each recording, each show. I mean, that says a lot about you. Um, there's so much I want to ask you, and we could talk about all this forever, but I think in the interest of time, um, if I could ask you one more question here, you know, yeah. What advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time? What advice would you give yourself at age 21?
2: Oh man.
1: Um, I I would I would say I would say as cheesy as it sounds would be to just to really remain optimistic and positive about about uh about i guess it's talking to myself and so my own my own future i think i think it's just i think it's very easy um especially as a musician and this applies directly to music i guess to get to get pessimistic about making a living i mean i i i grew up in a in a really supportive family because I had uh you know family members that that were serious musicians. But there are a lot of people that, like, going into music, it's just like, well, what, what are you doing? You know, you gotta, you gotta be a dentist, you gotta be a lawyer, you gotta go into finance. And it's really easy to get, um bogged down on the prospect of making a living or being happy or, or having a family even, uh, you know, playing music. And, and that's just, that's just one facet of, of negativity that, that kind of seeps in to, to what we do as musicians, and I think that that energy spent on 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 being negative or pessimistic or not believing in yourself, you can take that energy and 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 filter that more into a positive thing, um, and not be afraid to take chances. I mean, those those, those are the things. Really take chances, to believe in yourself, and you know, and uh, because because there are a lot of times I got, you know, down and out for sure from, from like when I first started playing an instrument to, you know, lessons with my high school teacher to, you know, auditioning at college. I remember after my audition at Indiana, I, I thought it was like a total failure, you know, it's just like, you know, every, everything will work out. So it's a little bit more of a, a relaxed and,
0: Positive and zen approach would be something that I would tell myself. Yeah, I agree. I mean, mindset and attitude is everything, and I definitely have to remind myself that there's very things to be talking about on a daily basis. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. it, it
1: applies to a lot of stuff. But you know, you know, music gets a, it, it, it can get, um you know, you can get negatives quickly. Right. But, um, this. this there's little room for that. You can never perform or succeed or whatever when,
0: when that is the, the
1: consistent,
0: you know, thought process. So
2: yes, but as you've
0: um, described throughout this conversation, there's so much to be optimistic about, and there's so much to do out there. If this is really what you want to do, so I want to thank you for talking about a lot of this, and also for for giving your time today to do this. Oh man, no problem. My pleasure. I'm actually I'm very flattered you asked. Well, no, this we'll has been, it. yeah, this has been great. So, thanks so much, Dave. Um, look forward to connecting with you again soon. Sounds good, Mike. All right, have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.